Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. You've probably heard this one before. A gigantic ship, a marvel of technology and engineering. It serves as a symbol of the future, of progress, of its nation. The ship, it's amazing to behold, hulking and beautiful. The whole of it does not quite fit into all of your vision, and you wonder how such a thing could have ever been built. The ship embodies the ambitions of its time, the pride of its people, and heralds a new age, and then, in its maiden voyage, sinks. And years later, it's excavated in an impressive feat of underwater archaeology. As you've probably guessed, I am not talking about the Titanic. At all. I am talking about another Titanic-esque ship, which I think is more deserving of the Titanic's reputation. The Titanic, it's considered a symbol of hubris and people, you know, reaching for things beyond their grasp and ultimately failing and nature smacking down stupid humanity and telling it to not be ambitious. I don't think the Titanic fits that narrative. I think the Vasa fits that narrative much, much better. The Vasa was a Swedish ship that was literally too fancy to live. In the 1620s, Sweden was becoming something of a regional power in Europe. Uh, King Gustavus Adolphus, he's generally considered to have been an innovative and effective military commander, and he led his country to a series of important victories during the Thirty Years' War. The Thirty Years' War, it's fascinating, but it is best left for another episode. It is way too complicated to fit into this 15-minute podcast, so I'll just say Sweden, in the early 1600s, kind of a big deal. And Gustavus Adolphus, its king, also kind of a big deal. During this time period of Swedish prominence, His Majesty, King Gus Adolf, wanted to show the world just how awesome he was and how awesome Sweden was. So he commissioned a gigantic warship that would be an immense, fancy, deadly, and impressive symbol of his country. That was the Vasa. Part warship, part propaganda, part floating national monument. It was a kind of national gigantic project that could only happen if the king himself had demanded it. The Vasa was huge, larger than almost any other ship at the time, and also much, much better armed than almost any other ship at the time. This ship, it would have been an explosive opponent for almost any other vessel that encountered it at sea. Unlike other ships of its day, which had only a single gun deck, the Vasa would dwarf them, would tower over them with two gun decks, and it would bristle with a total of 64 cannon that it had on board. Many of these very heavy cannon, they allowed for exploding canisters that would have hit the enemy like giant shotguns. Also, the high stern was supposed to be not just impressive to look at, but practical as well. Back then in the 1600s, ships did not fight in line formation. Ships did not all get in a line and fire in an orderly fashion in a coordinated way. No, it was individual ship versus individual ship for the most part. And a lot of the time, what you were supposed to do with your ship was go up next to another ship and try to board it with your guys. The idea of the Vasa is that it would be too big to board. Other ships would go up to it, and they would not physically be able to reach onto it. Also, its height with the additional gun deck, that was also supposed to be practical. The idea was is that you would have soldiers on deck armed with muskets, and they would be able to look down at the other lesser ships a story below them and fire upon them 
raining chaos and death onto the lower level enemy deck. And even if you weren't getting attacked by this thing, the Vasa, Gustavus Adolphus still wanted you to be impressed by it. It was supposed to be impressive in war and impressive in peace as well. One of the most striking things about this ship, the Vasa, was a vast array of wooden carvings covering the exterior. This was no merely functional warship. Gustavus Adolphus also wanted the Vasa to proclaim the glory of the Swedish nation and, of course, his own royal self. In the outside of the boat, it was strewn with carvings of soldiers, lions, eagles, horses, heraldry, sea monsters, fish, and other ornamentation that made the exterior look like some kind of floating, secular cathedral. That's the sort of propaganda that we just don't get anymore. So, on August 10th of 1627, the Vasa set off on its maiden voyage, and this gigantic, gun-toting, ornament-laden symbol of Swedish supremacy immediately ran into problems. The Vasa was tall. I've already mentioned that it had two gun decks as opposed to just one. And it was too tall, in fact. The thing was 52.5 meters, about 172 feet high. So it was taller than a fair amount of multi-story buildings. It was also narrow, only about 11.7 meters, that is about 38 feet in breadth. So you have a very tall, somewhat narrow thing. And this tall, narrow thing when released onto open water, found that it really didn't get along with wind. And this is a little ironic, given that it was a wind-powered ship, and it should have welcomed wind that was slightly more strong than a stiff breeze. But no, as soon as the Vasa began its maiden voyage, it began to lurch and sway like a drunken noble. The tall, narrow ship was moved back and forth by winds that should have propelled it. Instead, they swayed it from side to side. These were fair conditions, conditions that should have been considered good to normal for other ships. And Avasa, instead, was going precipitously from one side to the next. Imagine for a moment a ten-story cathedral lurching back and forth and back and forth only because of the slightest breezes. And then you can maybe imagine what it must have looked like. And during this initial launch, the Vasa's gun ports were wide open. To show off just how well-armed and impressive and how many guns this thing has, the ship has lots and lots of wide-open holes in its two gun decks arranged so everybody can, well, see all the guns. And what ends up happening is that water ends up rushing into the open gun ports. As Vasa lurches one way, the open gun ports dip into the water. As it lurches another way, they do so on the opposite side, and the ship, being so large, was unable to right itself. It soon began to fill with water. It filled with water, and filled with water, and filled with water, and it eventually sank. The Vasa sailed for less than a mile before sinking. Thirty people were killed when the ship went down. Thousands of Swedes had turned out to see this symbol of national pride launch, to witness the vessel that would strike fear into the hearts of Sweden's enemies, and Gustavus Adolphus had assembled a large group of foreign ambassadors and dignitaries to witness this ship. But instead of anyone being filled with awe or pride or intimidation, 
or anything else, they saw one of the most embarrassing and catastrophic shipwrecks of all time. After the wreck, Gustavus Adolphus was furious, as you can imagine, and he immediately demanded that the parties responsible for the disaster be found. An investigation really didn't turn up any negligent or incompetent or guilty parties. The Vasa had been built to specifications. All of the carpenters, all of the shipwrights, they had all done their jobs to the best of their abilities. This seems to be a case where, in the 1620s, the understanding of engineering and construction just wasn't good enough to support a ship as large, as impressive, as gun-laden, and as massive as Devasa. After it went down, it was lost for 333 years. It was found in 1961 by accident, and the ship, as well as a huge-scale model of it, is now on display at Devasa Museum in Stockholm. So, Devasa is a far better metaphor for boat-based hubris than the Titanic ever was. The Titanic, after all, hit an iceberg. Lots of things, when colliding with giant hunks of frozen water, tend to fare somewhat poorly. If I were to hit an iceberg, I would get hurt. If you were to ram your Subaru into an iceberg, that Subaru would probably sink. If you were to hit an iceberg, or if anything else were to hit an iceberg, they would fare poorly. The Vasa didn't need an iceberg. Also, what a lot of people forget about the Titanic is that it had two sister ships. The White Star Lines, they made three ships with the Titanic's design, known as Olympic-class ships. The Titanic, we all know about that, but there were two others with longer careers. One was just slightly longer. The Britannic, it hit a German bind during World War I, and it sank in 1916. But then there's the third ship, the oldest ship, the ship that gave the Olympic-class its name. The Olympic was the Titanic's older sibling vessel. So when the Titanic was actually released, it was not in fact the first of its kind. It was a sequel to another earlier boat. And unlike its two younger siblings, one which hit an iceberg and another which hit a German mine, the Olympic had a long 24-year career and was nicknamed, I'm not making this up, Old Reliable. And then after a quarter century of doing exactly what it was supposed to, of working great, of actually being a sterling example of high technology for its day, it was retired. Contrast that to Devasa, which literally sank under the weight of its own fanciness. We look at the Titanic as a symbol of, you know, man reaching beyond what he is supposed to reach for, or arrogance, or that kind of thing, but it's really not all that applicable, because, again, we would all do poorly if we were to collide with an iceberg. Devasa, though, fits that bill perfectly. All of the symbol and metaphor ascribed to that more famous shipwreck with that one movie about it really redirect all that to 1600 Sweden. So here's what I want. Give the Titanic a break. Leave the Titanic alone. If you want to talk about human beings being all arrogant and making giant ships and then getting one-upped by the laws of nature, go back in time a little. Go back to Sweden of 1627. Go back to Gustavus Adolphus. All that symbolism normally ascribed to that one ship from Belfast directed all at that gigantic, propaganda-strewn floating cathedral, the Vasa, that was literally too fancy to live. Interesting Times. We are recorded at the studios of Portland's own X-Ray FM, 91.1 and 107.1 in Portland, Oregon. We are engineered by Arthur Rosado. 
Uh, this podcast is entirely funded by Patreon supporters. So unlike Gustavus Adolphus, I do not sit around with a giant treasury with which I can make fancy boats. Instead, this podcast is entirely reliant upon you guys. If you would like to support the podcast, uh, go to interestingtimespodcast.com, click on Support Interesting Times on Patreon, and please do that. Thank you very much, those of you who have supported it already. Uh, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash interestingtimes with Joe Streckert. Uh, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Joe Streckert, on Tumblr, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher. Uh, look for us there. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week. Bye. All of a sudden... The captain's eyes popped wide open and stood right up straight. Grabs a hold of the wheel, looks on out at the bow of that boat, and he said, I'm gonna move you, baby. And it did right on into an iceberg, and she went right on down. See the band was playing in my garden Better well, not any better well God, he wouldn't let Jack Johnson on board He said the ship don't hold no Better well, not any better well That's the true story of the Titanic, folks